This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Alrighty, welcome everybody to episode 150 of the Laravel News Podcast. Can you believe we've made it to 150? Our centennial and a half. And we've, done a, and, and we've done a few of those episodes now. I think did, did we? Th- I think thirty was when we picked up. So we've done mm. one hundred and twenty of them now, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is pretty pretty good to yeah. have you know stuck at it for for this period of time and keeping everyone in forward. It, it was nice uh, to hear Eric. He was on the the Laracon online after party. Yes, with, I missed with that. Frank and yeah, what did he say? And I think Christoph and and Nuno. We're, mm-hmm. we're hosting yep. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just, you know, giving a shout out, giving the, the backstory of Laravel News, just, you know, eventually remembered that the podcast is a thing that exists in his little <laughs> repertoire and, and and gave us a shout out. So it was That's fun funny. fun to hear that. I only caught the tail end of it. I didn't, didn't really see any of the conference live. We had some stuff going on. So I, I, I was just crashed out on, on that night and yeah. woke up in the morning and, and saw... I think I tuned in just in time to see poor Colin DiCarlo's internet crap out, and uh, and that was basically it. So I've I've watched Taylor's talk since. It's the only one that I've seen. Mm-hmm. The you know Ian Ian and the Userscape team got the the videos turned around really quickly as they yeah they really the, did with the Laracons now and and the closed captioning is coming still as well, which is which is good to have that extra accessibility aspect to to the videos yeah it's funny because it's almost not even i mean it is certainly like it's closed captioning the original intent was you know accessibility whatever but man so many people use closed captioning now like all the time Mm. like even non you know yeah i do like we we have it on all the time if we've got anything on we and we've got the tv on like we can't hear because the kids are they don't really watch but we want to you want to watch the whatever and so you've got the captions on just so you can keep up with things over the yeah. over the noise, so so it's really helpful, actually. I mean, for and I, f- I think that's. I mean, this is totally an aside, but like I feel like that is true with a lot of those accessibility things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are like, "Why accessibility? What's the big deal? Whatever. Why is this a problem? It's you know, why everyone. do we need to accommodate yeah, you don't this?" Even it think is. Of it. And yeah, what ends up happening is like these things end up uh, helping, being helpful to everybody. Really, m- almost mm-hmm. always. The amount I, of people I, that are are laying in bed at night with their significant other sleeping next to them and they're, you know, watching YouTube videos or TikTok mm-hmm. videos or, or whatever. Having the captions means that, you yep. know, you don't have to have the volume up and you can still follow along with, with, with what's happening for, for the most part. So, yeah, yeah it's good, good job it's on good the, to, on the to team have those turn around so quickly yep. as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to catch up on some of the ones that I missed as well. We had uh, some developers in from out of town just to do like a little in-person, get to see everybody conf. Um, and so that was cool. We didn't have a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously with like COVID and all that stuff, I think people were kind of keeping distance still, which we did too. And, and that was fine. But it was good, just good to see some faces of people that we haven't been able to see for a while. So um, took a break from a couple of sessions just to kind of hang out and catch up. And so looking forward to catching up on some of those and then uh, some of the later talks. I didn't get to see, but Colin DiCarlo is always hilarious. Um, he always does such a great job. But yeah, I did hear he had some internet problems. We had a couple people with um, little glitches and stuff. But, you know, as always, Ian or the speakers themselves made it through like a champ. I'm pretty sure Dries, um, might, his might have been because he was switching. So like he was showing how um, uh, Spark now has the ability to do region-based pricing. And so he was using uh, Tunnel Bear to do VPN switching around to kind of show like, hey, here, look, if I'm coming from the US, I get this price. If I'm coming from India, I get this price. And he switched his Tunnel Bear and it all of a sudden it was like, boop, like dropped out. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure it's because he switched off. his VPN. It's just that so. uh, these AirPods, they connect to any of the myriad of Apple devices that are in my house. And ah, yes. anytime that... Eli picks up the iPad and starts watching something mm-hmm. on YouTube. My AirPods drift off, so yes, you you should probably kick off with uh, our first article here. Let's do that, and I Let's will sort out my audio situation. Okay, sounds good, my friend. Let's do that. All right, so the very first thing we've got here is, uh, I guess, actually, we'd like to start with a shout out to Honey Badger. Honey Badger is error monitoring for all of your. Uh, application needs specifically for Laravel. They do a great job. Uh, TJ Miller, one of our own community members, 
uh, wrote their SDK and the stuff that you can use to integrate that into your Laravel application. They do awesome. We use them for our products and uh, think that you should check them out too. Honey Badger, thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, so starting with Blade Component slot attributes in Laravel 8.56. So uh, that's just kind of the highlight for 8.56. Uh, Taylor did talk about this a little bit during his talk, but hey, why not Why not rehash it here? So we've got the Laravel team releasing 8.56 uh, with a first or fail method, Blade Component slot attributes, default conditional validation rules, and some other changes. So let's jump right into this. So Dwight Watson contributed validation assertion improvements uh, to assert invalid. And this brings some quality of life improvements. And I feel like we've been seeing a good amount of these, uh, these testing helpers, I suppose, that make it a little bit more um, readable when you're when you're doing your tests. And so this one specifically, uh, you can generically assert that there are any errors by just saying response assert invalid. Um, or you can check to see... Um, uh, you can now you, previously what you had to do is you would have to uh, pass an array and now you can just pass a string if you'd like to. So you could say response assert invalid and then just say email in there and that will check to make sure that your email validation failed. So that's handy. We've got Dan Heron who contributed the ability for blade component slots to have their own attributes. Now, if blade components are not something that you've played around with uh, much yet, it might be something that you'd want to check into. You get them for free uh, with Laravel now on the latest versions. I think version eight is when this was introduced. And so these are really, really handy. There's a couple different flavors of these components. You have class-based components. You have anonymous components. You have... um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, yeah, you have components that are viewless that you don't need a view. It will just in like the render method, you can just put like a here doc syntax. Uh, the one that we're talking about specifically here, though, is one that actually does have probably a blade uh, view. And the, the deal with this is that you've always been able to pass at the top level uh, different attributes to the top level of the component. So if you wanted to say, this component that I'm embedding in here should also have a class of uh, text-xl, right? And so the, you know, the text that's in there should be extra large. Fine, that, that's good. Uh, but if you ever wanted to pass something down to a slot that's going to be used inside that component as well, there was no way to do that. You didn't have the ability to pass specific attributes for a slot inside of a blade component. So Dan Heron made a pull request to make that now possible. So if you wanted to, if you had like a panel component or something like that, and within that panel component, you had a heading uh, slot, you could pass values through to that specific slot now, which is pretty handy. Uh, We also have Powell Blythe contributing a first or fail method to collections and lazy collections. Uh, which if you don't know what first or fail is, this is something that comes over from Eloquent. And what this will do is this will use a set of conditions to determine if a value exists in your database. And if it does not, that first or fail means it will throw an exception if it can't find it. So you now have the ability to use first or fail in your collections, uh, which previously what you'd have to do is you'd have to look and see, um, you know, you'd have to dig in and, and either filter or uh, put some where and then uh, if empty or something like that, then throw an exception. But now you just have this nice first or fail, which is great. We also have default rules for conditional validation. So Bastion Phi contributed default rules when a condition is false instead of having to write the inverse conditional rule. Now, this is something we talked about maybe a couple shows ago. And so this is a new rule where you can say rule when And then you pass as the first value in that rule when a conditional uh, or something that will evaluate to a Boolean, a truthy or a falsy value. And then the second argument then is the list of validation rules that you want to apply if it is true, right? So now what you previously had to do is you'd have to use rule, um, uh, I think it would be, let's see, rule when, and now you have something like rule unless, is that what it is? Oh, I see it. I see it now. Here's what it looks like, actually. It looks like you have rule when. And uh, so it looks like what you could do is you can say, if it's true, do this sort of validation. And then what you previously had to do is you say rule when not this true, then you'd have a second set of validation. So maybe if it was true, you would say it's required. If it's false, you'd say it's nullable. Well, now what you can do is you can just pass the third argument 
would be here are the rules that you should apply if it's false instead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just a, it basically adds that third argument. I see. There we go. Yeah, if that's something that you're using, definitely check check this out. Uh, I think that might be helpful for you. Last item that we have here is Ali Salim contributed a full URL without query request method. And this allows you to remove specific parameters from the query string. Uh, so if you say request, uh, you grab the request from the container, and then you say full URL without query, and then you pass a value like color, for instance, what it would do is it would give you the URL, but it would strip out a color variable that may be on that like get URL, for for example, right? Or you could pass an array and say request full URL without query, and then you could pass color and size, and that would strip out the color and size. So if you're just trying to target a specific value there, and I'm guessing uh, that's probably going to be the next PR that this guy makes, right? Is going to be a full URL only with query, right? That's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that's that's uh, that's helpful there. So thank you, Ali. Nice job on that one. That's 8.56. So Michael, over to you. We've got 8.57 and 8.58 kind of rolled yes. up into one. All, all wrapped up together. Yeah. So first up, we have the update or fail method, which was added in Laravel 8.58, which was contributed by Klaus Augner. So it's a new eloquent method, which makes it more convenient to handle update errors in update actions. It relies on the save or fail method, which saves the model to the database using a transaction. So basically, you can just wrap this whole thing in a in a try catch block. So uh, inside your try, you'd call your model arrow update or fail, and that will throw an exception. So you can just catch an exception and then bail out. So I don't remember if it was Laravel News that you and I were talking about this, or if it was on North Meet South was... who were talking about it, where you've got one of your... Yeah team one of your developers yes they like to remember. do this kind of guarding yeah so um this this kind yeah, of I simplifies mean, that process so you don't have to do the if checks and throw your own exceptions and right. things like and that you can just you can update or fail so i'm not sure the context of the failure like i don't i don't know if it's a you know an, an actual database error that's occurred that you're trying to catch or if it's just a you know, if there if there were no up records updated, so if if that's something that interests you, perhaps dig into that a little bit further. Maybe let us know on Twitter at Laravel News. Yeah, the the discussion we were having, Michael, you and I were saying is, you know, with an update, it doesn't actually return the model again. It returns a true or a false, right? And we were saying, mm-hmm. you know, what the other developer on my team was doing is he was checking to make sure that it was true, and if it wasn't true, then he was throwing an exception. And I was like, well, it should throw its own exception if it fails, right? I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's just maybe it literally just does return false. And so now uh, you could just say, say update or fail. And now if you say that, then I mean, it, w- it will throw an exception in that case. So instead of having to do exactly what he was doing, throwing an exception manually, you could do it this way. Uh, so mm-hmm. I am going to dig into that a little bit because I'm curious if it doesn't throw an exception. Like, why would that ever happen? I don't know. Um, yeah. So this is, I think this maybe is all something... encapsulated. This yeah. is all encapsulating a transaction. So it runs the whole, yeah. the save or fail. The save or fail method encapsulates everything in a transaction. So if the the save operation on your database throws an exception, it'll get caught and it'll roll back that transaction and then um, throw throw on throw the exception so that you can deal with it in in your own application. Otherwise, it'll gotcha. just return the result of of that call. So Got next it. up, we have the exclude validation rule. Uh, which was contributed by Bastian Fi. So this was added in Laravel 8.57 and it will exclude the field from validated data. A typical use case would likely be the default from a conditional validation rule. Uh, So this is a rule when, and then as the third parameter, you can pass exclude. So this Uh, is kind of tagged on to the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Light on the details on, on what this does specifically. Um, anything? Anything? anything so, yeah. So, so on this one, right. On this one, I'm sorry. I think what it is, so it kind of like along with the last one, we have this now with this rule when thing where like as the first value, you pass a truthy or a falsy. And then as the second value, you pass the list of validation rules that should be applied when it evaluates to truthy. And then just in 8.56, we said now there's a third value that you can pass in. That would be what it is in the case that the the truthy mm. statement evaluates to false. And so in this case, what he did is he created an exclude validation rule, which basically just says in the case that the value uh, evaluates to false, 
don't do anything. Don't make it nullable. Don't do anything. Just exclude just it from it. validation mm-hmm. altogether. Exactly. So kind of like a sometimes, um, I suppose, then, you know, it's not there. Sure. Yes. Or, or, yeah, it, right. or it is there, but it's not matching the, the specific case for that. So in the, in the example we have here, we've got a rule when, and then we pass a closure and we compare the, the validation data role value. And we say, if it's a user, then we should say, that the email is required and that it is a string and that it is a valid email address. Otherwise, we want to just exclude that particular value from the validated array. So a question for you real quick, um, because we're already on it. So let's just talk about it real fast. If you have something, if you have like a nullable rule in mm-hmm. there, does that mean that you must pass the value, but that it's allowed to be null? Or does it mean that you can pass, you don't even have to pass that key and it'll be fine? Uh, I think if you have nullable that it it doesn't need to be there unless it's a required but it is nullable kind of thing. So you have to pass it, but it can be null if you've got required gotcha. and nullable. But if it's nullable, mm-hmm. I think it's just I it's mean, fine if it's not if they're not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious yeah. what this excluded rule is doing. Right, that's that's kind of the well. Question I think it just here. excludes it from the validator. So if you were to use that value or that you know this is within the context of a form request so if you were to then get back the request validated i think it yes, just excludes right. that key so yep. like in, it's in not this a validated example, thing yeah yeah so you might use the same form request or the same rule set for both a save and an update operation perhaps yep so you could use that to exclude certain things when you're doing the validation so of course we could be completely wrong so bastian Fi, who is the author of this one I would love to hear from you on Twitter yes, if you could indeed. correct us. Indeed, indeed. Next up, Daniel Mason contributed the ability to pass a callback to the HTTP client retry method, which determines if the client should actually retry. So this was added in Laravel 8.57. And so you can do a HTTP retry, and then you pass it the number of times and the interval to wait between attempts. And now you've got a third parameter, which is a closure. And you can say only retry if we get a connection exception. So if we tried to send a request and we couldn't connect to the remote server, mm. maybe it was busy, maybe it was down, um, unless we get a connection exception, then don't retry that. So that's that's handy if you're, you're only wanting really to nice retry in, in certain scenarios. So I don't necessarily always want to retry. And this sort of just collapses that down. So you don't have to wrap the whole thing in a try-catch for the connection exception. You can just do it in line with the with a callback there. So that's that's a handy contribution from Daniel. Um, next up, we have the shortcut, which I think Taylor went over this one in his Laracon presentation. It's a shortcut for simple where relationship queries contributed by Italo. And it's a where relation method, which is for simple where clauses in eloquent queries. So before where you would have something like user colon colon where has posts comma and then you'd have a closure that checks to see where the published at date is the future is in the future so it's a scheduled post you can now collapse that to one method call so it'd be user colon colon where relation posts comma published at comma greater than comma than comma now so it's just for those simple scenarios where you just want to have a quick inline query you can collapse that where has down um, so the the function and the, and the closure callback there on the where has method is still if you need to do a little bit of extra complexity that doesn't really fit on a line, but this is handy for those simple scenarios. So thanks to Italo for contributing that. And lastly, Samuel Levy contributed the prohibits validation rule where a validator could pass two potential fields, but if one exists, the other cannot. So for example, if you're doing a an update to a post, you cannot change the created by and the created at fields. Those are fields that can only be set at creation time. So you would say if a post ID is is set, then prohibits colon and then a, a comma separated list of columns or fields in the database that should not exist in the request at all. So this is just to, to tidy up those cases where you're passing data that should not exist as opposed to should uh, could exist but is empty. So that is it for 8.57 and 8.58. It's maybe you feel this too. It seems like a lot of these validation things that we're getting um, almost feel like I'm I'm, I'm trying to like wrap my head around when you would even have some of these things. You know what I mean? I'm sure there are very valid use cases, 
But you know, well, you're assuming like- that people are only ever going to be interacting with your database from a form, and you're mm-hmm. controlling all of the inputs. But for APIs, where people mm-hmm. can just no, submit point. any JSON willy nilly, and you know, you're trying to protect your application, so you might might very well do something like you know. Uh, request validate and then pass that validated data directly back into the model and then save you may you know created at created by may very well be fillable fields on your model but you you want to stop people from passing those values and overriding those values once that thing has been set so in this example the the created fields should only ever be set at the time that that record is created and you want to yeah. absolutely prohibit being able to do that at any point in the future. And it's not, just, it's not just silently dropping those things and not updating it because then your, your API consumer or your application consumer might go, well, I sent these fields, why didn't they change? And because you're silently dropping them, they'll, you know, they'll keep sending that and in the hopes that something will happen, whereas the prohibits validation rule will then obviously throw back the validation exception and, and make it clear why that is something that, that is not able to proceed. Great point. No, that's absolutely correct. Yep. Good one. Um, I did real quickly that where relationship or where relation is really freaking handy. I had to use this just the other day um, because mm-hmm. we had, we have this application called wants and it's basically just like user voice. Like, what do you want like us to build? And then you have people who can vote on it and then you have people who can leave comments on it. And so say you have like somebody who's a member of a department that voted on it, but is no longer a member of that department. And so their like mm-hmm. is not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. So now it's like you have to do this where has user, but where the department is still relevant to the want. You know what I mean? And so this yeah. where relation makes it really easy to say user department equals whatever. Like it's just mm-hmm. one line. It's really, really handy. It feels great. Yeah. It's almost like a reach through. You know what I mean, it's almost like a... Um, reach through that relationship plus the queries. I don't know. It feels mm-hmm. great. I, I really like that one. So yeah, it's always nice to get those sort of, as I say, over and over and over again. The quality of life, paper, paper cuts, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, uh, since we did our last show, we already did talk about this a little bit. But Laracon Online was on September twenty first, which was great. There was a lot of awesome talks, uh, and you can still get tickets. That's the great thing. If you didn't get tickets yet and you still want to catch the streamed versions of them, uh, you can do so. Uh, so 12 different talks, uh, as well as some lightning talks. Uh, we had Tailwind Grid, which was awesome, by Shruti Basala. Sorry, Balasa. She has a book, a little digital book on Gumroad that's coming out. Adam already tweeted. He's like, yep, bought my copy. I think mm-hmm. she went from like 600 followers maybe a couple thousand followers like thirteen thousand followers overnight if that tells you anything about how great her talk was it was really really good um so anyway you should definitely definitely check that out a lot of good stuff in there some really really interesting ones um as well um there was one uh guy thinking like a hacker Stephen reese carter Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool that was pretty interesting he showed like how some of the exploits in the most recent past like remember that one that was like that cookie one where it was like um, um, if you're using encrypted cookies or something, or if you're using a cookie session driver, then somebody could like get your encryption key and then create their own mm-hmm. cookies. Anyway, it was a big deal. He talked about how that could have been utilized to basically run, like to get shell access to your server. And then he did it. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, so anyway, lots of great talks. You should definitely check it out. Get your ticket if you haven't. And check out the talks online. Um, it'll be good stuff. You'll be glad you did. Nice. Nice. All right, my friend. Exciting news. PHP 8.1 release candidate number one is here at long last. The PHP team announced the release of the first release candidate for PHP 8.1. And we, whilst we're still about two and a half months away, so November 25th is the release date for the general availability, you can start preparing for PHP 8.1 by learning about the features, the upgrade path, and the key dates to ensure that you are ready. We've spoken previously about some of the the new features that are coming, so we won't go into too much detail, but at a high level, we've got enums, we've got new the new keyword being available in constructors, read-only properties, final class constants, uh, PHP sort of helper functions, array is list, there's some fsync function, pure intersection types, and those juicy, juicy performance improvements. If you'd like Mm. more details on the features and more, Brent Roos 
we spoke about this at the end of the last episode. He's got a, a 10-part email newsletter, What's New in PHP 8.1. And you can also check out the upgrading document for a complete list of new features. So this release kicks off the feature freeze portion of the PHP 8.1 release cycle. We'll see a few more release candidates before the final GA release on the 25th of November. We've got some resources um, on on upgrading, on uh, the news document that has detailed notes about each of the releases, preparation tasks for the release itself. Um, you can download the 8.1 RC from the downloads page on PHPNet and our good friend Nuno Maduro has put together a, a quick, it's like a 60-second read, how to install PHP 8.1 RC on a Mac. So if you're using Brew, check this one out. You can get that up and running in no time and start sort of, you know, if you're already on PHP 8, then I'm pretty sure you're going to be in a in a good place to sort of start testing your applications against PHP 8.1 and be ready, not necessarily for day one, but certainly being ready to to move across in short order once PHP 8.1 is out. So we'll have links to Nuno's article and all the 8.1 goodies in the show notes. Less of a pain in the butt to migrate from uh, 8.8 8 to 8.1 than it is to migrate from 7.4 to 8, right? I mean, the package authors or everybody, mm-hmm. um, they always would just put like 7.4 or greater. And it's like, yeah. so, so then, I mean, myself included. So when it's like 8, it's like, dang it, that package doesn't support it yet. So you have to just be a little bit mindful. Go. But with the 8. Yeah, yeah, eight to eight. You got to go and make the pull request. All right, don't be the guy that sits there and waits. Oh no, be no, no. The, yeah, I do. Be the person I, that goes I make and the, makes pull, the request. pull request, and then I go harass them on Twitter and be like, "Hey, can you just push this? Can you just publish this, please?" Anyway, hey, speaking of updates, uh, last month Shift released. So that's Laravel Shift. J Mac, Jason McCurry released the Workbench desktop application so this is a port of the cloud-based workbench uh, which allows you to run all of the different automated tasks that uh, jason and jess archer have worked on together Um, but now you can run it conveniently from your local machine so jason was actually here hanging out for uh, laracon online and asked him i was like so what's like why desktop what's what why do i want to do that right and he said well not everybody runs on github very true. Good point, right? That's a great idea. That, that's, I didn't even think about that. He's like, maybe you're running a GitLab install. Like maybe you have something uh, local or it's like you self-host it. And so I can't look at that. So this allows all of those people who are not running on GitHub to be able to still utilize all of these amazing automated tasks uh, conveniently from your local machine. So there's mm-hmm. right now over 50 different tasks to help you maintain and modernize your Laravel and PHP code. These are those things that just get away from you that you don't really go through your code base and do all the time unless you're really intentional about uh as he would call it boy scouting your application which is every time you go in doing all those cleanups that you um would otherwise not normally do so here are a couple premium tasks for streamlining your laravel code so removing down migrations so as applications grow in size it becomes less common to run migrate rollback and so this automatically removes all the down methods from your migrations uh, it also updates your stub file so that uh, it will not include the down method from uh, new migrations. Um, it now can also change uh, it so that you can adopt anonymous migrations. This is something that came out not too long ago. So this will convert your existing migrations to anonymous classes so you can avoid some of those collisions that you may have experienced in the past. Uh, it will remove default doc, doc blocks. It will also format test cases. So for large test suites, you may have um, like mixed test names, like maybe camel case or snake case convention. And so you can denote which one you want, and then it will format your test cases using either the PHP unit convention, the Laravel convention, or you can configure your own custom convention. So you can get all the premium tasks available with the purchase of a one-year license. And right now they're offering a pretty significant discount. Uh, and you can also receive a license with a subscription to the latest Shifty plan, which basically allows you to get all of the shifts from I think like Laravel 7 and up um, as well as all this premium stuff. So really cool. We we have a shifty plan. We use it all the time. Um, and this workbench stuff is like, it's like those things that you would give to a junior developer to say, hey, can you go clean this up and do this? Except for <laughs> it does it automatically and it's way faster and way more comprehensive. Um, and then all you have to do is review the code and push it in. So it's really nice. And you can just say... Um, I want to run this, 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 and this. And then you can say, I want to run it on this, 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 and this repo. Go. And it will just 
make pull requests for you. It's pretty awesome. So check that out if you haven't heard of that before, or if this is something you might be interested in, definitely check it out at, uh, let's see, laravelshift.com slash workbench. Hey, mm-hmm. Jason, you just got a free sponsorship spot, man. Look at that. <laughs> and you know Thanks, what? Jason. Even, even, even when you're automating all of those tasks, your code is still potentially going to have errors. Is. And even yep. if it was written by an amazing platform such as Laravel Shift, mm-hmm. when errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. HoneyBadger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform. HoneyBadger will send you alerts in real time with all the context you need to see what's causing the error, where it's hiding, so you can quickly find it and get on with your day, even if that happens to be at 1.30 in the morning, like happened to me earlier in (laughs) the week. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Please... Please go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution, which is important because self-funding means that they are not beholden to a venture capital overlord, just providing great features for you, the developer. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out the Founder Quest podcast, which is hosted by the, uh, the, the creators or the founders rather of Honey Badger, which is always a good listen. They go into some deep topics and sometimes some service level stuff. It's just it's just a good listen. So check them out, honeybadger.io. You rock, Honey Badger. Thanks again. We've got this, uh, we're, we're heading into the packages section now. And the first one we have is this Laravel job chainer. So this is a package to chain Laravel jobs without having to glue them together with a starting job. So let's talk about what this is a little bit. Um, if you've not used this before, you can have a job in Laravel and then you can say with chain. So let's say process podcast and then say with chain. And then in that with chain, you can then pass additional jobs that you want to happen after that first process podcast job is finished. So we maybe have process podcast and then with chain, optimize podcast release podcast and then at the very end once you've kind of glued those all together then you can say dispatch and then pass the argument in that you'd want to pass into the original one so it works great um but this the way that this is set up the way that this job chainer package is set up makes it i feel like a little bit cleaner it looks better and it also allows you to dynamically chain jobs uh, in a mm-hmm. in a different order um so with this you say chain equals new job chainer so you now have a chain already set up and then you add them one at a time so you say chain add process podcast chain add optimize podcast chain add release podcast you can add them in different you know one after the other they don't have to be all fluently chained together that way and then at the very end you can say chain dispatch and so you can think in your brain maybe you could have conditions around a particular thing if it needed to happen um so process podcast maybe if it's a particular type you don't need to optimize the podcast or maybe let's say that you're using apple podcasts then you have like a premium subscription thing and so instead of releasing the podcast to everyone you want to say release to premium right and you don't Mm -hmm. want to release it to the general public so with this job chainer uh you can do that you could have conditional chains being added on uh, an additional link of chain being added on to the end, uh, which would be either impossible or really difficult to do uh, with typical job chaining. So another way that they talk about using it, which I think is relevant, is if you wanted to allow users to swap around, like if they had a user interface to allow mm-hmm. them to customize which jobs should run or not run. So think like something like if you've used Envoyer before and mm-hmm. they have um, deployment hooks, So it says, first step, we're going to pull it down and then you can kind of customize what you want in the next step. And then we're going to compose or install and then you can customize what you want in in the next step. This would allow you to do something like that really easily. So yeah, it looks like a really great package. Um, And I'm trying to see who to credit for this one. Yust Iwerson. I have you. I I put the pronunciation in there for you. I saw that. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, So very cool. Check that one out. If uh, job chaining is something you use, it is something we use for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and also the one other thing real quick shot, and I'm taking too long on this, but who does, uh, be nice, do good. What are those guys? Zangle. Jesse shut Zangle. Thank you. They have a thing called like the traveler, um, 
it's like a job chaining, but they have this traveler that goes along with it. So like if you have a, a piece of data that needs to go from one job mm-hmm. to the next job to the next job to the next job, they have a really great blog post on that. We use that pattern uh, a couple different places as well. Because um, with regular job chaining, you kind of either have to just store it in the database in a record. And with the traveler, it's just kind of just it's in the memory. Um, yeah. So anyway, check that out too. Okay, I'm done. You're up. Excellent. Next up, Tom Witkowski and Dries Fintz launched the PHP GitHub Sponsors package, which is a package for PHP to interact with the GitHub Sponsors GraphQL API. Currently, PHP GitHub Sponsors allow you to do ACL-based checks to see if one GitHub account is sponsoring another. While the package is framework agnostic, it can be used with any PHP application. It also comes with integration for the Laravel framework. So you set yourself a GitHub Sponsors token in your ENV file, and the access token should have the user read and organization read scoop, scoops, scoops, scope. <laughs> then you can start using the package. So there's a GitHub sponsors facade and you go GitHub sponsors, colon, colon, login. And then you pass the name of the user that you'd like to check. And you can say is sponsored by or is sponsoring. You could see if the viewer is sponsored by a certain user or is sponsoring a certain user. You can also retrieve the client from the IOC container and perform calls on it. Additionally, there is a sponsorable trait that you can add to your eloquent models, for example, your authenticatable user, and make that sponsorable. The user will then use the value of its GitHub column in the database as its username. A user can also add their own personal token on the GitHub token column to let them check private sponsorships. Um, so this is good if you want. It's, it's a fairly common thing. You know, More and more developers now are using GitHub sponsors as a way to get paid for the open source work that they're doing. And a lot of people... Um, are using that platform. I know that um, Caleb Porzio uses the sponsors for Laravel Livewire to determine if you have access to the advanced screencasts and things like that on the Livewire website. So this is all just serving to to simplify that process and give you know easy access to GitHub sponsors uh, and, and the API there. So the package couldn't have happened without some awesome people. Special thanks to Claudio Decker for all of his feedback and help while developing the package. And also to Sarah Vessels for all the work that they provided uh, in in uh, feedback on the GitHub GraphQL API. And lastly, thanks to Tom Witkowski for joining Dries as the co-maintainer and helping out with developing and improving the package. If this is something that you've thought about doing to to provide special level access to your GitHub sponsors to newsletters or or screencasts or anything like that, definitely check this package out. It'll give you a real uh, kickstart in getting that happening. Awesome. We have a new component, a new view, lazy image component. Michael, what's a lazy image? I don't know. I'm hoping you can tell me. <laughs> you know what a lazy image is, don't you? Do you know what a lazy image is? It's one of those things that that sort of are not loaded until you they scroll into view, right? That's it. You got it. Yeah, exactly. So um, as you can imagine, this could have, or maybe you can't imagine, but if you've not heard of this before, this is what it is. I'm assuming you probably have if you listen to this podcast, but just in case you haven't, this helps with performance. Um, if you don't load all of the images as soon as the user hits the page, you're going to save a lot of the user's time, specifically because uh, almost always your images are going to be your heaviest resource that's getting downloaded from the server. And so if you can wait to download those, it's likely that your user is going to get a shorter time to first paint, a shorter time to first interactive uh, or interactivity. Um, and so it's going to feel snappier for your user. So what this does then is it will watch using the intersection observer API, which is now available in browsers. It will watch to see when the user's viewport interacts with the specific image or whatever it is that you're trying to load. And then and only then will it go ahead and fetch that image from the server. Uh, and so this is not a new thing. It's not a new problem being solved, but this is a new component that's solving the problem for you if you happen to be using Vue. And um, we've said this before, but the, the Intersection Observer API is also relative. I think it's relatively new. I feel like before, the way that you'd have to check for these things was sort of janky. And so with this now native API, in order to be able to do this, it's a, a little bit faster, a little bit smoother. Um some of the other things that this package also gives you is you can just use a simple SRC attribute. So like you would just use the IMG SRC equals whatever. You could just do it that way, which is fine. But you can also with this use source set 
uh, and sizes, which allows you to specify if you're at this size, load this source. If you're at this size, load this source. Um, in addition to that, uh, it has fallback su support for browsers that don't use source set or can't use source set. It also has a SRC placeholder attribute, which will use something like a progressive image loading. So sometimes you'll see on a page, you'll get this like blurred out uh, JPEG that's just sort of mm -hmm. like the color of what the thing is that's going to be loading in there. You can use that with this as well. Um, and then the events that it can listen for is intersect, which is when the when the viewport inter interacts with it or intersects with it, load and error. So you can listen for each of those different events and then handle them accordingly. Um, so as they, they say at the bottom here, which is we, we've already said, your app's going to see some immediate performance gains because your images are only going to load mm -hmm. as they scroll into view. Uh, but you can learn more about this package, get full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub. And the repo also includes a playground for both View 2 and View 3. I'm curious to know if it works with View or Petite View. I would guess it would. Um, but Petite View is that new like 5.8K version of View that just loads and you can just, it's, you know, think like Alpine, but View. Hmm. You could just throw it in uh, from a um, CDN, throw it in there and get started right away. Pretty cool. Nice. All right, my friend, over to you. The last package that we have here is the Laravel Console Spinner, which is a package from Rahul Day. It's inspired by the Symphony Console Spinner and is specifically for Laravel artisan console commands and includes a few macros to make custom loading spinners. Using the spinner within an artisan command is simple and is compatible with the Symphony process bar instance. So you can just do uh, spinner equals this spinner, spinner set message, spinner start. And then inside a, a loop, for example, you could spinner advance and then spinner finish at the end. So this is kind of handy in those scenarios. I know that Laravel does support the progress bar um, so that, you know, if, if you have a known number of, of items that you're iterating over, hmm. you can say, you know, zero of a thousand or whatever. The spinner is really handy if you're making maybe a, an asynchronous HTTP request and you're waiting for the response. You don't know how long that's going to take. So you see that with your little spinnerino off doing its thing so thanks to rahul day for that one yeah that's pretty cool actually that's a that's a great point too like it you know the progress part does work great but you have to kind of know what you're how many you're going to have before you start mm -hmm. it right mm -hmm. whereas this is not necessarily the case okay so michael has also uh taken the time to throw together some community links which is awesome uh, so the first one we have here is getting started with GitHub issue forms by Diana Scharf. Is Scharf the correct way to say her last name? I think. Mm -hmm. So Diana, by the way, works for Beyond Code, works over there with Marcel. And she also had a talk, which was, I think, bug fixing your career. Awesome. One of my favorite talks of the day. It was so good. And she, I think she was a first time speaker. Holy crap. That mm -hmm. girl can talk. It was so good. So, so good. I had so some very good things too. from that. Oh, yeah. What I saw on, on Twitter, it was very positive reception. So oh, it'll be man. my next. Yes. It would be my next yep. one. Next definitely one to watch. So out. definitely check that out. And and just on Beyond Code, they've, as sponsors of Laracon Online, they have a big 25% off sale at the moment. So if you grab the ticket to the conference, then go and check out beyondco.de. And you can also get Tint for free because Tint is like what it'll do is if it'll give you like a a eyedropper sort of like color picker mm -hmm. but whenever you hover over something on your web uh, browser it will then tell you what tailwind color it is so like blue you know 500 or something like that mm -hmm. um i actually didn't talk about the article yet so i'm just gonna talk about that real quick sorry i was too busy talking about diana's amazing talk okay um so she says why github issue forms are awesome so when dealing with bugs, da, 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 da. you know what, Michael, do you want to take this one? Because I haven't read it at all. And I feel I would feel bad just reading it on air. Have you read this one? I don't think we should read it on air. I think the the thing with just the community point it links out. is to, to hit the hit the high points and, and send people on their way. I think it's important that we sort of make people aware, remind them that the that the Laravel community is bigger than than Taylor and Matt and you know Sparsi and Beyond Code and, and you and me doing this show. There are, you know, hundreds thousands of people out there writing awesome content um putting stuff out into the world just just to try and help people and i think you know it was shown in in taylor's presentation as well really pointing out oh yeah that a lot of the contributions that go into the framework 
are not just Taylor and the Laravel team, but it's, you know, dozens and dozens of contributions week after week. We do it, you know, with the, the release notes here every, every fortnight, the, the amount of people that are putting together content. So it's, it's, it's good to shout these people out. Yeah, so let me just really quickly give a, a fast overview then. So essentially what this allows you to do is it allows you to specify fields um, that you would like people to include when they are filing a particular type of issue. So in this example, she talks about building a bug report form. And so this is just a simple like a bug.yaml file that you can store in your .github directory under mm-hmm. an issue template folder in your repository. And so you can give it a name, a description, and then in the body, you can have... Um, you know, different input types. So you can ask for the operating system. What version of Laravel are you running? What version of PHP are you running? Where are you running it from? Local, remote, somewhere else, whatever. And then when you publish that into your repository, then somebody can then file an issue as a bug and it will ask them those questions. And then it'll have Mm -hmm. those uh, values all there handy for them to fill out so that you can get the information you need in order to be able to solve that issue more quickly. So very cool. Uh, I've heard of these before, have never used them, but I suppose this would be really useful if you were, you know, um, doing open source. Uh, you know, for me, the issues, like this would be a, a akin, I suppose, to like a ticket on, mm-hmm. on something, but like our people don't have access to our repos yeah. on GitHub. Yeah, the, um, the issue forms are fairly new. Sure. The, the issue forms themselves are fairly new. There's been issue templates Mm-hmm. For quite oh, a yeah. while that's, in GitHub. Maybe that's what I've been thinking. Yeah. But the problem yeah, with the issue about. templates is they pre-fill into the thing and people select them all, delete them and say, this is broken, fix it. Yes, right, true. And, yep. you know, open source maintainers that have got a lot of stuff to do, if they can't, if it's not obvious, close, sorry, try harder. Um, so the issue forms really force people to fill out a you know, step-by-step form. There's required fields. It won't let you submit unless you fill them all out. So it's just about finding that balance between reporting an issue and putting some effort into helping the maintainers actually reproduce it, especially if you're going to open an issue without sending in a, you know, a, a pull request, uh, without sending in a pull request with filing tests and things like that. It just, mm-hmm. it helps to make that process easier because maintainers want to help fix bugs. Obviously that's, you know, part of, of being an open source maintainer, but you're not going to provide any useful information to do that. Then it makes it impossible. Indeed. Uh, third third episode in a row, I think we're talking about uh, Doki Norg, uh, and he's got a good article here talking about traits are not inherited and talking about um, single inheritance and composition and, and all of that kind of stuff and how traits are, are sort of copy-pasted into the class that are referring to them. They're not. If you, if you have a trait available in one place, I think it's not, it's not accessible if you then extend that um, oh, class. So. Yeah, something to to keep in mind. Oh no, sorry, it's it's because they're copy pasted. If you if you have a a variable or a static value in a trait, and you set that in one class, the value will be updated in the other class as well. So mm. something to be mindful of. But definitely read through this um, to understand better than my explanation about why traits are not inherited. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah, because that's I I would. I maybe get bit by that. I think I have mm. gotten bit by that in the past, actually, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know if I understood why. So there we go. All right. So we also got a blog post from Jerowen Van Rensen. Jerowen. Jerowen, sorry. Jerowen Van Rensen. And the title is Converting PHP Unit to Pest. So Pest is an amazing new testing framework uh, by, again, Nuno Maduro and community members. It's got a really nice, uh, elegant syntax. I think it's like reminiscent of RSpec and uh, Jest, maybe. Jest. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. And so you've got... Um, if, you, if you're wanting to get there, though, if you're wanting to switch all the way over to Pest, you've got this probably got this massive job of moving over from PHP unit mm-hmm. to Pest. So he walks through in here how to install Pest and then walks through in a couple examples for how you would convert a test from PHP unit to Pest. Now, I also have really good news for you, not to not to disappoint your own, but Jason McCurry also has a PHP unit to Pest shift now, which mm-hmm. I believe you can run for free. Um, it's $9, I think. Is it really? Well, yes. I, get, I get it for free because I'm on that shifty coders plan. So <laughs> for me, it shows up as free. Um, nine bucks, though. I mean, that's, man, 
if you're going to do it, you should probably just try that first and then yeah. go look at your mm-hmm. own's post for things that you might have missed or that it might have missed or something like that. Um, and so for me, like I've not really been fully convinced of the past thing until now where it's kind of like, oh, well, I can automatically shift to anyone. Well, then sure. Why not? Right. Less lines of code. <laughs> it's a little bit more clear. So uh, I might make the jump in the near future yeah. here. I, to our I've, chore list. I'm down the road of converting a code base from PHP unit to pest and I'm I'm net minus 4,000 lines of code. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, that's huge, right? Less lines is less maintenance, right? You get, yeah, you get the same same amount of coverage from your tests, but you have to write less characters, less typing. Um, yeah. It's not for everyone, don't get me wrong. I, I think the syntax is really nice. I think it's uh, it's easier to sort of work through and write and, and the expectation API is really nice. But, you know, some people like PHP unit and that's totally fine. This pest existing and PHP unit existing side by side is, you know, it's great. It's just about getting more people to test. It's not which tool is better or worse or, or whatever. Don't don't get into those arguments. It's just about the more people that test their applications, the, the better everyone's applications are going to be. So give Absolutely. it give it a crack. Last thing that we Do have it. here is how to send Laravel vapor logs to Paper Trail. It's an article a short article from Carl Alexander that talks about um, how, yes, CloudWatch is terrible for monitoring your application logs. I've I've got an app running on Vapor and I have the Vapor UI and anytime I click on that HTTP logs thing, it just sits there and spins at wheels and either tells me something went wrong or there was nothing for me to see. So I, I do actually use Paper Trail for, for this particular application. Um, and so check it out. Use Paper Trail. It's it's a good cheap solution unless unless your application blows up and and you flood your 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 uh, log allowance for the month on the first day, which is <laughs> annoying. Anyway, that is it. That is all that we have for this episode one hundred and fifty of the Laravel News podcast. Jake, do the bit. All right, folks. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. And. Um... Yeah, we're so thankful to be a part of this amazing community, even in just a small part, bringing the news to you would not be possible without amazing contributions from all you amazing folks out there. So thank you very much for listening. And this was episode 150. So if you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at, excuse me, podcast.laravel-news.com slash 150. If you liked the show, we would really appreciate it if you could rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. And of course, if you have any questions, we always like to hear from you at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Derrida, or at Laravel News on the Twitters. All right, folks, until next time, we'll see ya. Bye.